the biggest one is that I'm not my results. I'm also not my feelings. Results are temporary. Feelings are temporary. Like you catch them and they go, you catch them and they go. And for me, the mistake that I made for most of my life is I would catch those feelings and I would never let them go. I would catch that belief and I would hold on tightly and grasp onto that belief rather than be like, oh, that's interesting, mm -hmm. right? Like that just lasted in this moment. I might not be where I want to be in business or in paper, but like I have everything I need. I'm the happiest I've ever been. My wife, my daughter, and my son are all happy and healthy. I am healthy and happy. I'm currently putting food on their plate. Am I stressed? Of course I am, right? But that stress has nothing to do with me. I created all of this before. I've lost all of this before. I can also create at any moment's notice. The world can change. I can pivot. This can happen. I can pivot. Something will go bad or good. I can pivot either way, but I know that it's just as important for me to celebrate the L's as much as it is the wins. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and I wanted to take a moment uh, to wish everybody a happy holiday. And for those that are celebrating Christmas, a Merry Christmas Eve, and hopefully you are having some quality time with your family and loved ones and those closest to you, whether it's in person, physically, or virtually. And today on the show, I have George Bryant. And George is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a podcast host and one of the most highly sought after digital marketing consultants in the world. But he's also got an amazing story to tell. And he's going to share his story of overcoming massive setbacks through the years, including a chaotic childhood that led him to joining the military, where he spent 12 years serving uh, that included multiple deployments. And during his time of service, George encountered many other demons, including nearly losing both of his legs, six surgeries, and also developed an opiate addiction along the way. An abrupt departure was soon to follow from the military, along with a bunch of trauma and PTSD. George then, like many, began to find healing through the power of health and wellness. George then started a popular food blog called The Civilized Caveman, and he didn't stop there. He then ended up starting an app and even became a New York Times bestselling author. And some may think that this would lead to eternal happiness, but instead it led him down a darker path because George was still hiding from his past and it began to haunt him. And this also included a deep battle he had with bulimia. He ended up voluntarily checking himself into a hospital, which was a much needed first step to force him to start dealing with the trauma and PTSD that was swept under the rug for much of his life. George then decided to delete all of his social media and spend time in isolation uh, to get started on his healing journey. And we talk all about it. And we certainly will get into his story and the methods he has used to heal. We also talk about how isolation really helped him, how doing the internal work helps things flow externally, the mindset hack to improve your life no matter what, and so many more tips and lessons along the way. So let's get this conversation going and welcome George Bryant, to the Adversity Advantage podcast. George, thanks for hopping on, man. 
Yeah, I'm stoked to be here, man. I'm not as happy as I would be eating that ice cream stone I saw you eating the other day. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Like, And you and I have this in common in that I've been able to, thankfully, not be as hard on myself when it comes to nutrition because I was in a position where I was like ortho, was it orthoanorexic or something where it's orthorexic, like, yeah. orthorexic where a lot of people don't know about it. It's like where you try to be so perfect in what you eat that it's like becomes like an illness, right? And you're like, all right, I can't go out to dinner tonight because I got to make sure I can get my chicken and broccoli in me. And it's like, you can't, like, how are you supposed to date anybody? How are you supposed to have a life when you're like hiding in the corner, like eating, eating like fish or whatever. And I know for me, it was when I got out of jail and I lost a bunch of weight and I was like, well, shoot, if I cheat on my diet, like that means I'm going to gain a bunch of weight. It's like this all or nothing mentality. And thankfully over the course of the years, fitness has been part of my life and not my whole life. And that's why I had the ice cream cone. So I know your story. It's incredible that like how you've been able to accomplish everything you have. And right now, obviously you're the CEO and investor and, and have your hand in so many different like operations and companies but it wasn't long ago that like your life was like a wreck, right? Yeah. So like, and what's cool is you have different blends of your story that are crafted into this high speed daddy company where you've created these pretty much like alpha male diaper bags, right? And yeah. it stemmed from like your military career. Obviously you got some cool, you got a cooling aspect in there. So you're passionate about nutrition and your kid and like, so where did this all start, man? Like, take me back. I know, like, obviously, when you were younger, you had your struggles and, and that, like, influenced you, who you were as a person. So kind of take me back and, like, what inspires you to kind of get where you are today? Yeah, man, great question. Yeah, like, it's actually, I love when you say that because, like, I look back and, like, oh, yeah, I remember, like, three years ago. I'm, like, and now sitting where I'm here and then hearing you be, like, oh, and you've accomplished so much. I'm, like, who am I to sit here and talk to you? Like, look where you are. But, like, yeah. Right. It's, I think, I think what's really interesting about it is the temperance of it all, right? Mm. I, I think for years of my life, like you got out of prison, right? And you're like, okay, I got to be like strong and strict and boom, 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 or else this is going to happen, right? And like that level of rigidity I had in my life for so long because it gave me a semblance of control, which will take me all the way back. So yeah, I grew up in a pretty uncontrollable environment. I lacked safety. Like my base level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs were not met until I was mm. probably 32 years old, right? Wow. So five years ago. So I grew up drug abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, bullied, front teeth knocked out three times, broken nose three times, all before I was even in high school. And so there was nothing really there for me. I struggled immensely. I was homeless. And so I did what any person in that situation would do. Instead of turning to drugs and alcohol, I joined the Marine Corps to run away. And that's what I did. So I joined the Marine Corps 18. As soon as I finished high school, I was gone at boot camp. And it was actually a sigh of relief in a moment, but I always struggled being in because like the lack of personal freedom, the lack of independence, the lack of all those things. But I also was willing to trade that in exchange for structure where I thought that structure equaled safety or love or family or whatever it was. And so I established this pretty good practices in the military. I learned a lot from discipline to intentionality. I ended up spending 12 years of my life on active duty, three combat deployments, Somalia, Afghanistan, and a couple short trips to Iraq just for fun, like dessert. And after that, and 12 years in, I got injured really bad in the Marine Corps. And I still struggled that whole time. While I was in, I was still actively purging on bulimia, right? I was bulimic for 15 right. years. I was struggling with opiate addiction because I had almost lost my legs in 2005. And I had six surgeries and spent 
12 months in a wheelchair and they're like, here's hydrocodone, eat it like candy, Tic Tacs, right? Here you go, 90, 90, 90, 90. And so I was still struggling with demons, but I was also in an organization that rewarded the struggle, right? Like pain mm-hmm. is weakness, leaving the body. You're not in pain. Suck it up. Go work out harder. Get over it, right? Like suppress those emotions, suppress the demons and just pretend they don't exist was like the world yeah. that we lived in. And so in that whole journey, the longer I was in, the more dissonant I became. Like mm. I was in and I believed in what I was doing because I gave my word. I signed this contract like that. My word is my bond. But at the same time, the moment I was out of work, it was like, I hate this. Why am I here? Boom, 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 boom. And so it was pretty much a blessing around 12 years. They were like, hey, you've been really good for us, but you're no longer fit for service because you had seven brain injuries in three years. You had bleeding on your brain, fluid on your brain, PTSD. You almost lost your legs. We're going to medically separate you. I'm like, awesome. I'm be retired. They're like, no, no, no. No, we're not retiring you. We're just basically kicking you out and saying, thanks for your service. And it was in that moment that I knew that I had to shift some stuff. And I'd started eating clean, right? I'd found paleo, uh, CrossFit, right? I was one of those guys, right? I would tell you I CrossFitted every five minutes. And that was the life I was living. But it gave me something outside of the military. Right. And so when I came home from Afghanistan, I taught myself how to cook. And I just started documenting it on the internet. Like I I created a Facebook account in like 2009. I made a fake college address because I didn't go to college and I needed one to get Facebook. And so I was posting recipes And then that continued and eventually gained enough momentum that I became a food blogger. So got out of the Marine Corps, became a food blogger. I can't see you as a food blogger. Me neither, man. (laughs) Me neither. Like, well, here's, here's, I'll I'll fast forward to the, to the fun part of the story is that I couldn't either. So I did it for eight years, became a 22 week New York Times bestseller, number one app in the world, 6 million website hits a month, 2 million social media followers. And I hated cooking the whole time. I never liked it. What was this called? It It was called Civilized Caveman. For me, like, have you ever been to like some of those things where you love the results, but you don't like the process? That was basically what that was. Like, I didn't like cooking, but I also loved the fact that I was like healing and overcoming my eating Mm. disorder. But it was a tool. It wasn't a passion. It wasn't any of that. And so a couple years ago, things got really dark. I still hadn't worked through most of what I had been through. I hadn't mm. worked through the death of my father. I lost 28 Marines total. I witnessed three of them commit suicide. I've witnessed more things than any human being should ever have to witness. And then I was like, oh no, I'm, I just won't talk about it. It'll go away. I won't talk mm. about it. I'll be fine. I won't talk about it. I'll be fine. And then that business, now I'm this public figure kind of exposed to the world. And now I'm addicted to social media, right? Oh, I don't have feelings. Let me go on Instagram. Dopamine, 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 mm. dopamine. And then my wife ended up being eight months pregnant with our, my first son. And we were about a week away from bankruptcy and my whole world kind of came crashing down. And this was not too long ago, 2000, 2016. And so that was kind of like ripping the bandaid off. And I got thrown into the hospital again, voluntarily, but depression, PTSD, suicidal ideations. And it kind of started to shift some stuff for me. And so in that shift, I realized that I had to really kind of do some inner work and get into alignment with where I wanted to be, get my health in check, my mindset in check, heal my demons and all those things. And so fast forward, I deleted social media. I changed my phone number, deleted my email and got offline for basically two years and disappeared. And I spent a whole lot of me time. And then coming out of that, I had a whole lot of clarity on what I wanted to do in this world. And I started to help other people build their businesses. I was consulting big companies at this time. And then I met my business partner, Craig, at High Speed Daddy, who is High Speed Daddy 1.0. He is the original. And then he was a former army veteran, mechanical engineer. 
And so we came together and we realized that like, we didn't want to make diaper bags. We wanted to help men. Like we wanted to create a community where men could provide, protect and connect for their families and not have a bag that like solves just a problem, but serves as like a relic, like as a reminder or like a, a totem per se of like, Hey, I'm proud of this. I'm working on myself. I'm okay with my emotions. I'm okay. Leading my family. I'm okay. Doing the hard work. And so everything that I've ever touched, because I own eight companies now and I spend a lot of time doing this, but everything that my hands are in is just a representation of me or who I want to become. And I use my businesses or my passion or my focus to live through those means, right? As an accountability measure or things like that. Like I'm surprised I don't own a gym yet because I avoid going as much as possible. But I, I really do love going to the gym. I just prefer to like be outside. And so I basically just built a world around myself where I could hold myself accountable and I'm not out here trying to sell diaper bags or to sell the dream. I'm documenting my growth, my journey, my healing, and I'm inviting other people kind of, here's a window into what my soul looks like or my, like, hence why I named my podcast, The Mind of George Show, because I'm a little bit kooky up there in the best way possible. And so that's kind of how we get to here today. Yeah, man. I think what's really interesting is you can come out of the military, right? You have your ass handed to you pretty much in a way that like you get this unforeseen circumstance thrown at your way, right? And it's like you got two choices. You can either crumble and just pretty much fall into this victim mentality, which I'm sure was probably there, right? At some point. Oh, totally. And just pretty much blame that for the rest of your life. But what did you do? You went out and pivoted hard became a food blogger, built, you know, a brand for yourself, became a New York Times bestselling author. By the way, how did you learn like all the tools for all that? Did you just study like how to like so, market? No, no. Like, so literally like I was so green, like I had no idea, no construct of like what marketing was, what digital marketing was, what ended up being my biggest benefit out of everything. Cause I didn't have a box that it had to fit in. Mm. I was just like, Oh, this is what I'll do. And so like, I just picked up as I went. So I was like, I'm going to be a blogger. And I was like, everyone's like, oh, you should have a blog. And I'd already been posting once a day on social. So I was like, oh, I'll post every day on my blog. And everyone's like, God, I wish you emailed this to us. I'm like, well, how would I do that? And they're like, oh, well, you sign up for this thing and then we give you your email and then you can email us every day. I'm like, oh, I'll just write an email every day. And so basically I would focus on whatever it was there based on the needs of my customers or potential customers. And then I would be met up against something, some resistance, then I would teach myself or solve it. And I've always personally learned by getting smacked in the face a hundred times until like I can avoid the slap, right? So I was like, I'll just try it. I'll just try it. I'll just try it. I'll just try it. That was everything. Like I had no intention of ever writing a book. I had no intention of ever launching an app. Like I had 200 recipes on my website that I gave away for free. And at that point, somebody was like, hey, it would be really awesome if all of these were lived in one place. Can you like save these for me into like a document? I'm like, how would I do that? They're like, oh, save them as a Word document and then you'll send it to us. So I did. I'm like, oh, I wanted to pay you for that. I'm like, why would you pay me for that? They're all on my website. They're like, oh, but they're all together. It's convenient. You should put them on this website. And so then I uploaded that to ClickBank and they're like, tell everybody on that email list that you did this. And then I sent that email and made a million dollars. And so that was kind of like a holy moly if I pay attention wow. to my customers and I listen to what they want and then I actually deliver a result, then I can make that. And so then someone's like, hey, I know it's been an ebook, but have you ever thought about writing a real book? I'm like, no, why would I do that? How do you even do that? Like, oh, you need a publisher. So I went to an event or happened to be a publisher there and I walked up, I said, hey, you don't know me yet, but I figured you should since I'm your next published author. And he was like, who are you? And I was like, oh, I'm just a guy who's really insecure sometimes, but don't know what to do, but nice to meet you. And then ended up with a book deal 
taught myself photography for that book by taking 18,000 photographs to get 500 in the book, learned that way, taught myself the marketing strategy, all of it was just basically OJT or on the job training the entire time based on necessity. And because I didn't come from like a business background, a school background, or even have any capital, I couldn't make frivolous decisions. Like I had to put in the work. I had to be like, oh, I can't afford that. I got to do it this way. Oh, I can't afford that. I got to do it this way. And so that really kind of set me up to win because it took a lot longer to get up there, but I got to make mistakes that didn't cost me five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 that other friends were making at the time. I was like, I can't do that guys. You have fun. I'm like, I'm just going to keep consistent. And so I learned through experience all the way up to now where I've spent $26 million in one month on Facebook ads. So it's been quite a journey for sure. That's crazy. So like, what did you, so from, from that you pivoted, right. And you, you found that you got yourself really passionate about paleo, really passionate about like eating and it kind of, I'm sure triggered your bulimia and your previous eating disorder that you battled for nearly two decades. Right. And like, how did you then you go? So then like after that, you become a New York times bestselling author, you pretty much teach yourself. You never attended any, any like events on marketing or like met with any like master nothing i didn't even know events existed like i literally didn't even know events my first ever event was a paleo conference and i was like there's a conference okay we want you to speak i'm like why would people come to a conference i don't understand and so yeah i actually didn't go to my first ever marketing event until 2017 so i was seven years in before i'd done anything and there was only one book that i ever read in 2016 i read the book contagious by jonah berger maybe 2017 i forgot when it came out and it's because my wife gave it to me and i think my wife was just sick of watching me smack my face against the wall so many times and she's like hey like you've proved this point but now you can pick up some knowledge and do this a little bit easier So yeah, man, I literally didn't even know that world existed. Like imagine just blinders on a horse and all I knew was survival, right? So like I still at this point had never really had my Maslow hierarchy of needs met, right? So like, I'm like, okay, I'm out of the military now. How am I going to survive? How am I going to survive? How am I going to survive? And so like the blinders kind of stayed on with tunnel vision of like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but if I just stay focused, like I will eventually get there. And that was kind of like how I operated every single day. It's, I mean, because what I love about that is a lot of times people like learn from other people and then they, I don't want to say they steal their ideas, but they take their ideas and they craft it into their own. You kind of just taught yourself, you were your own success story, right? That's very similar to me in my own fitness journey, my own like mindset transformation. I was my own success story. Like what I'm teaching other people is literally what worked for me, like in my own like, like trial and error, like you fall, you get back up, you fall, you get back up. And I'm now teaching people from my experience, my lessons on what works, what doesn't work. And then like, take what you want from what I'm coaching you on and try to like put it into your life. All right. So like at this point, like you, you've just become a New York Times bestselling author. You've built a great brand, taught yourself how to be like a marketing wizard. Many would think that would be like, okay, I'm on top of the world for you. You plummeted, right? Like in a way. I plummeted hard. I (laughs) self-sabotaged the shit out of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you pretty much go, go dark, right? You become like nobody. And in a sense, you delete your social media accounts, you delete your email, you change your phone number, and then you spend a few years in solitude and you work your way out and battle back. So what I want to know is a, like, how'd you almost go bankrupt? And then B, what did you do during that solitude to real yeah. kind of things did you do to like 
I mean, because it's not easy to, I mean, no. you're obviously in a pretty dark place to have to do all that to get to that point and yeah. to come out of it on the other side, not just on the other side, but in a way where you now have, like you said, eight companies and you got your hand yeah. in things, you're, Oh yeah. I'm like an octopus. Like I can't even keep track of what my hands are now, but like yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. testament to like how happy I am too. Right. Yeah. So the, the first one is that I think you'll probably understand this a lot better than most people, but you know, what I was chasing, right? Like where my success was coming from was insecurity. Mm. So what I was trying to do was create success to create a semblance of safety, right? If I'm successful, I might feel this way. If I'm successful, I'll be loved. If I'm successful, I'll be safe. And the truth is, is that you can stand on top of that mountain all day, New York Times bestseller, blah, 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 blah. And it is the loneliest, coldest, saddest place that you can be when it's not done for the right reasons, right? So everything, my entire life from a child, like my earliest memories were survival. Like I didn't have this point of like, oh, let me just be surrendered and somebody's going to take care of me. Let me be vulnerable and somebody's going to take care of me. Nobody was, nobody. And then I joined the military where vulnerability is quote unquote a weakness, right? Like don't show your pain. Oh, suck it up. Your leg's broken. Take an ibuprofen. Go run again, right? Shut up, right? Like it'll heal itself. It'll get stronger. Like that was the, the world that we lived in. So then I took that mentality that I had from such a young traumatic age all the way through combat, combat deployments, and then coming out of it. And I spent a one day transitioning. I got out of the Marine Corps and I was already running my business because I had started it while I was getting out. And so then I just changed the level of intensity and disconnection in the military and put it into my business. And I operated that way. Like I was a New York Times bestseller while I was purging in the bathroom on a book tour. And I'm standing there talking about health and owning your health and like taking care of yourself. I'm like, oh, and don't, don't open my mouth and look dentist. Cause you'll see that I'm still bulimic cause the acid coming out of my stomach. And I would literally go on national television and talk about loving yourself. Well, I would then go purge because I was basically living an incongruent life. I hadn't done the work. I hadn't healed. Mm. And it got to the point where the amount of attention accolades and success that I had, I couldn't maintain while lying anymore. And so I either had to continue lying or I had to surrender and break. And so I basically came out and said, I've been lying to you all this entire time. I'm still bulimic. I'm still struggling. And it kind of like broke me. And when that happened, it was like this level of acceptance. And I mean, I, I think you understand this. Like when you go through 12 steps and you go through any of this, like acceptance is like one of the most important things, not beat myself up, but like, this is really where I am. Well, when I did that, I no longer had the drive to post or to do social media or to create recipes. Like I felt, I felt paralyzed, like mm. literally like just paralyzed. Cause it was the first time I'd ever like really felt anything. And then owning the fact that like I'd been struggling with all of these things from addiction to orthorexia to bulimia, all of these different things. And so I basically just felt lost, like completely gone and lost. And so I literally stopped posting. I like I still owned the company and I disappeared off the social platforms for nine months that had millions of followers that were waiting to pay me and support me. And I was literally just sabotaging my way out, not intentionally, but I couldn't do it anymore. Every time I tried to come back in, it felt like I was willingly coming back to an addiction. Like I was willingly coming back to disconnection and I had felt for the first time I couldn't do it. And so it got to a point where it was losing around 30, 40 grand a month. And it finally hurt bad enough that I had to make a decision. And it was basically really, really simple. I was at a fork in the road. And I'm like, okay, am I going to go back in, go back to being disconnected, miserable with this new awareness that I have? 
or am I going to cut this thing loose because I can't go back in and I can't lose 40 grand a month. And I made a decision that not really many people were behind. And I walked away overnight. I called a friend and I said, Merry Christmas. This business will be profitable in 30 days. You just need to fix this, 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 this. Here's a seven figure Christmas present. And I disappeared. And, and so when I disappeared and said I went alone, what I went alone to was the closest people in my life, my wife, my family, the people that had been there the entire time, but never really got me. They got the version of me, right? They got the Instagram version, right? The guy that I was pretending to be or that I wanted to be, but I wasn't willing to put in the work to become. And so I started first with personal development trainings, right? Like life spring derivatives, gratitude in Florida is one of them. And I just started understanding distinctions and psychology and like, my patterns. I did EMDR, which was eye movement desensitization oh, yeah, processing. For two years, I did EMDR. And then I did, MD- you- oh my God, it changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. I did EM- MDMA assisted psychotherapy. And then the one thing that I was afraid of more than anything was solitude. The one thing I was afraid of anything because my brain associated solitude post-traumatic, right? Whenever I was alone as a child, it was after I was beat or after I was abused. Whenever I was alone in combat it was after something bad happened or after one of my friends died right so like literally my thoughts and solitude felt like hell on earth to me Mm. so i created a life where i was constantly distracted 24 7 instagram facebook twitter blogging videos conferences traveling like i would go from 4 a.m till 10 11 at night get up and do the same thing but i didn't know what it was like to just sit still i couldn't go for a walk i couldn't do anything And so I did the things that made me the most uncomfortable. So the most profound shift for me was I flew to the middle of the jungle and I spent seven days in silence. And I'd say about an hour in, I was ready to quit. I was ready to just call it quits, be done. Like I couldn't even like, I felt like I was split personality while being aware of it, right? Like I was like, I love this. I hate this. I hate you. What are you doing? Like I couldn't even turn the chatter down and It took probably four days. I didn't sleep much, but then there was this really big breakthrough of like, wow, I can really just be like, I can just sit here. And it started to kind of open up the lens for me. And so for me, when I look back now, if I summarize what single-handedly was the most successful modality for me to heal, it was space and awareness and by space, meaning solitude, but in that space, allowing myself to feel and being okay with it. If I was angry, I got angry. If I was mad, I yelled. If I was sad, I cried. If I was happy, I laughed. If I felt anxious, I'd walk. But I just never allowed an outside stimulus to kind of numb it or disconnect it or recreate it. And so I would just process and process and process. And that was basically the single-handed biggest needle mover for me while also having the support of my family. I had the birth of my son which some of these things were very big catalysts for me and tilts, but it wasn't like, oh, my, my firstborn's here. I'm just amazingly healed. My firstborn's here. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. I don't know how to be here. Like, who am I going to be? What am I going to teach this little boy who looks up to me as a man? I'm, I don't even know how to feel myself. And so it wasn't an overnight thing. It was a consistency thing. It was a daily practice of like, okay, what is this? What can I do today to better myself? How can I heal this? How can I be present, right? Because, you know, Stephanos, I talk about sometimes Stephanos, right? Like depression comes from thinking about the past and anxiety comes from thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. And just finding all these different ways with breath work, with movement, with the simplest things to be present is kind of how I got to this point. Yeah, it's, gosh, man, like there's so much to unpack there. But for starters, I think sitting in solitude 
especially for somebody like yourself or in the military, you're used to being in community, you're used to being part of a team, you're used to be having people around you. And then you think about like your involvement in the fitness community and you're used to being in packs, right? Yeah. And sitting in solitude just seems near impossible in that moment. And I remember for me, I relate a lot to having to sit in solitude because when I got out of jail and I needed to like make my transformation where it was either I was going to go left or I was going to be dead or back in jail. I was going to go right. And I had a shot, not a guarantee, but a shot at turning my life around. I was in solitude at my grandparents' house, pretty much didn't really see anybody, watched the Food Network with them, dancing with the stars, taught myself how to cook. Yep. And, but it was then that I got comfortable being alone. And honestly, like, I wasn't the guy who was like chasing after a relationship. I wasn't the guy that was chasing after new friends right? because I was like, I'm comfortable with who I am, right? I'm secure with the Doug that I look at in the mirror, all the good, all the bad. And I think when you get to that place where you are, life becomes a lot easier. It doesn't get easy. It becomes easier because now like the mask of trying to impress people or the mask of presenting yourself in a way that you're not falls off because you're so secure and confident, unapologetic with who the person is on the inside, like your shadow, right? Stephanos talks a lot about the shadow. But yeah, unapologetically authentic as George is wearing his hoodie on <laughs> camera here. That doesn't really matter. So no. And what I want to, I guess, go from here is like, how did you get into the digital marketing space? I mean, because I know you've worked with some of the most profound companies, influencers, brands. Like, how did you start meeting people out of this dark yeah. hole? So this is the crazy part about all of this. So I didn't realize when I built Civilized Caveman and I created the quote unquote on paper success mm -hmm. that I had, that I had developed a very unique skill set. And some of the results that I had created were not normal, right? They were like, you can't do this, right? Everyone's like, oh, Facebook's broken. How did you add 150,000 fans organically? And they're right. like, oh, our reach is shut down. How did you get 7 million views consistently? And so a few people had known me from doing that that were already in the digital marketing space. And then when I kind of disappeared and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know yet. And they're like, you should really teach people this. Like, can you come help us? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, just call me. And they're like, no, no, we'll pay you. I'm like, why would you pay me? Like, because your brain. I'm like, so you pay me to teach you what I know, but I don't have to build anything? Mm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll build it. We just want you to teach us. I'm like, okay, fine. And so it kind of just like a big shift. But because I had built a reputation by doing it myself, I had some credibility that came with it. So once that shift happened... I helped like three or four people that were pretty close to me that were pretty prolific that I had met through food and through everything else. And then they just started talk talking. And then the phones started ringing. Men's Health called me. Titleist called me. Reebok called me. On it, Vital Proteins, like you name it. Individuals, businesses. I mean, I still actively consult MBA teams and things like that. And so they just started calling. But really, it all started out of accident because I didn't see that possibility, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm stuck here. This is what it is. Somebody else saw it. And I just kind of surrendered to it. It was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And it was really great and healthy for me because it took me from being the guy in front of the camera, which was all ego, to mm. being the guy behind the camera that nobody knew, right? Like I've created successes in this world that almost every single person listening to this has seen, but no one will ever know it was me. And it was the healthiest place for me to be because I got to do my work, give my passion, give what I was 
becoming passionate about, but I didn't get any feedback loop. There was no like dopamine hit or my hit of like, oh, you did it. You're amazing. You're the best in the world. They all took the credit and I was okay with it and I loved it. And so it helped me really develop a healthy relationship with my ego and my healing and my insecurities and my pain to where I was able to continue to do my work and evolve my work on myself while also supporting the world and other people. And the results, quite frankly, were... I just like, I want to use the word horrendous in a good way. They were like horrendous. They were so good. Like, I can't even say they were good. They were like beyond great, super fragilistic, just like good. And when I think about it, like you talked about this a minute ago, really the difference was, is that once I started working on myself internally, everything externally just seemed easy. Like everything I touched just worked. And it was because I was completely unattached to the outcome and I wasn't doing it to get a result. It wasn't transactional. I was doing it because that's what felt right. It was congruent and the results came. And so it allowed me to get into that point where it's like, this is who I am. Like, this is how I believe. This is what I think. This is what I'm working on. And then I was like, and if you want to do this, try this, try this, try this. But I was literally agnostic of it working. I was fine. And so it created kind of like this perfect world for me to come into. And the transition was pretty easy from executor to teacher or executor to kind of teammate or coach or consultant or whatever label you give me. And it's continued to stay that way. And it's been really, really supportive of me. And also knowing my triggers, right? Like some of us that have struggled in the past, like we know what our triggers are. We know it's easy to pull us into addiction or disconnection or even sadness or depression. Well, one of my triggers was putting my like my soul into the world and not getting the not getting the surfacey results or the feedback, right? I would put this out there, I'm like, oh, I didn't get likes or I didn't get conversions, and I would weigh that on my value. And so I got to eliminate that from my life mm-hmm. for three or four years as I did it for other people, which allowed me to heal and find my identity to get to this point now. And and I think really to summarize it up. Like when I was a kid, my earliest memories were survival, having to take care of me, my brother, fend for ourselves. I didn't have a container where I was able to discover myself, like to find who I was. It was immediately into survival. And then I go into the Marine Corps, survival, and then I come out. And so it gave me the space to be like, this is who I am, who I want to be, and where I want to go. And then kind of got me to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think like one of the things that I really wanted to to dive in with you is especially when people have been through like hell and back, right? So you've seen success. You and I were chatting on the phone and you've made millions. You've lost millions. You've made it. You've lost it. You have nice cars, you've got nice houses, all these things that to the world is like quote unquote happiness, right? We see Instagram, a lot of digital marketing, right? That's like, oh, if, if you get the car, if you make this money, if you do this, like life's going to be freaking easy. And we know it's not the case. And coming from somebody who has made it all and lost it all and then some, what are some of the top lessons you've learned about life that, that because people know you as George, like behind the scenes, the digital marketing guy who's worked with all these brands. But what I'm trying to really unpack is like George, the guy who pretty much sunk multiple yeah. times and managed to just swim out and get his head above water, not just get his head above water, but swim the shore, not only safely, but tremendously so many times over and over again. So what are your top lessons you've learned? Yeah, I think the biggest one, the one that's still, it, it resounds true to this day. It's probably the biggest one ever. It's a marksmanship metaphor. If you look at the target, you always miss. Mm. And for most of my life, I was considering the same way, like the houses, the cars. And I was like, you guys all want those things till you get the tax bills and the payments associated with them, right? Like all it is is pressure. And 
I weighed my success forever on my external successes, on the houses we had, the cars we had, the clothes we wore. Now all you see me in is pink shoes and cut off hoodies because I just don't care anymore. I'm the happiest I've ever been. And, and like, quite frankly, the last four months has been the most challenging. Like I've lost two companies in this. I was losing 60 grand a day for like 90 days straight. Like it's been some of the most challenging. How do you lose? Ever. How does somebody lose 60 grand a day just from like so paying employees? When have, or When you have a supplement company that does $75,000 a day and then a pandemic hits and you get pulled off Amazon and then your suppliers go defunct and disappear and then your mm -hmm. inventory disappears and then your ads get taken away you go from making you know 60 grand a day down to about 150 a day and then after 90 days of having no inventory it's almost impossible to recover with bills and overhead right and, right right you know, all that stuff and so for me the biggest and i'm just going to sum up the biggest one is that i'm not my results i'm also not my feelings I am who I choose to be in that moment. Results are temporary. Feelings are temporary. Like you catch them and they go. You catch them and they go. And for me, the mistake that I made for most of my life is I would catch those feelings and I would never let them go. I would catch that belief and I would hold on tightly and grasp onto that belief rather than be like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Right? Like that just lasted in this moment. And so for me, the biggest lesson is like, yes, like right now, I might not be where I want to be in business or in paper, but like I have everything I need. I'm the happiest I've ever been. My wife, my daughter, and my son are all happy and healthy. I am healthy and happy. I'm currently putting food in their heads, on their plates. Am I, am I stressed? Of course I am, right? But that stress has nothing to do with me. And so in those moments, I just get really connected and grounded to myself. And I'm like, okay, cool. I created all of this before. I've lost all of this before. I can also create at any moment's notice. The world can change, I can pivot. This can happen, I can pivot. Something will go bad or good, I can pivot. Either way, but I know that it's just as important for me to celebrate the L's as much as it is the wins, right? And I think for me, the two lessons would be not attaching value or meaning to the results that are happening in the outside world, right? Like we are not those results. And then the other side of it is that understanding that even if things go wrong or bad, like what we tend to do is we tend to glorify the wins, right? Like the 1% and not the incremental progress that we've made every day to get there. And we can look at everything objectively, like, oh, I move forward today, learn to this, I'll do this differently. And to remove the, the judgment from the decisions and the choices that we make, all of a sudden everything gets easy because I stacked evidence for years, right? Like, oh, I could have done it better, I could have done it better, and I was basically paralyzing myself. Mm. Where the truth is, is that when I think about that, I'm doing absolutely nothing <laughs> rather than doing something. And so, like anything, like a workout, like going for a walk for 10 minutes will always be better than doing no workout, right? Drinking one glass of water is better than drinking no glasses of water. And so I allowed paralysis of like that comparison, those beliefs outside of myself to basically freeze me. And so for me, it's about constant progress. Like every day, it's just about consistency. If I do one thing today, one thing today, one thing today, and then realize that if I'm taking ownership of something outside of myself, that I have to feel it and process it and forgive it and move forward. And so I tend to do that through very, very authentic expression of feelings, right? Like I'll call Stefano, so I'll call my wife, I'll call my business partners, like, hey guys, I'm feeling like a failure today. Actually, I just got off right before this, right before we jumped on this call, I was crying on the phone to my wife because I woke up this morning, I did my workout, I was reading, I was journaling, I filled my son's tank, sent him to school. And then something came across my desk of like somebody that I haven't seen in a while. And I got struck with this feeling of jealousy. Like I was like overcome with jealousy from somebody I love and care about immensely. And so I did two things. I called him and I called my wife. 
was like, hey, man, I just want you to know, I woke up super jealous of you. I love you. I miss you. I just wanted you to know. And he's like, what? I'm like, I don't need anything else. I'll talk to you later, brother. I'll text you later. And then I called my wife and I told her what was coming up and where it was coming from and what was happening there. And then she just held space and listened. And then on the other side of it, I felt like Superman, right? I was like, I'm going to do this today, this today, this today, this today, this today, this today, because I processed that feeling. But I think the one thing, Doug, if I could leave anybody with everything or anything, it's that it's really easy to look at somebody like, oh, they're a billionaire, they're a millionaire, they're a centimillionaire, they're successful, they're happy, they have the family, and just assume that it's rainbows and unicorns. The only difference is that all the same triggers, all the same feelings come up. It's how you hold them and how you process them and like really what you're focusing on. And so for me, like I have friends that are billionaires, right? I just don't like walk in and compare myself. Like we belong in the same room. We literally are the same people. We have the same values. We do the same things. And I was like, they've been in the game longer or they hit that number better or they just happened to get there. But at the end of the day, we're all the same people and we all do the same things. They, they cry to me just as much as I cry to them. And so like humanizing ourselves and keeping ourselves in our power, loving ourselves, forgiving ourselves and being like, yeah, like I belong here. I can do this. And it's just move forward, move forward, more move forward is kind of like the uncollege educated way of me just figuring out how to be tenacious and like really committed, like you talked about, right? Like I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. And if I am going to go, I'm going to give myself every single chance I can to win that game. And so I go hard and I go as fast as I can, as hard as I can, as an intentional as I can to get there. And so that's it. Like forgive yourself, love yourself, right? There's no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. Don't attach yourself to the circumstances that you create, right? Like, I, and the easiest analogy that I give people, one of my coaches, Jeff Spencer, tells me he's like, like pilots don't fly the planes by looking out the window. They fly the planes by the instruments, right? So it's the training, it's the intentionality, it's the repetitiveness of it that creates results, right? You don't run a marathon for the first time by waking up and being like, I'm going to go run 40 miles today. No, like you run a mile every single day for a couple months and you add another one, you add another one. And so flying by the instruments, tends to be the best way to go about this. Like, what can I do today? Did I drink my water? Did I move for 10 minutes? Did I journal? Did I love myself? Did I write that one email? Did I send those three text messages? Did I make that one phone call? And like having those non-negotiables are the fastest path to success in my opinion. Yeah, and so the thing is that it's really cool is all these skills you're talking about now, not being attached to an outcome, gratitude, forgiveness, self-awareness, like you learned that because you were on the op the opposite side of the spectrum and, the and side. you went through so much crap that you learned like, Hey, like this doesn't work. Like that's the thing that it's funny. I get a lot of people that come to me and they ask me, well, how do I turn my life around? How do I do this? I get so many questions. And one of the main things I always point them back to was what's on your, like what life works list. Like what's working when life is good and you're actually feeling good. Not like take everything away, take Instagram, take Facebook, take your cars, take your house. Like what fills you up on the inside? Are you doing that? Yes or no? And most of the time they're like, well, no. And it's like, no, all right, yeah. like, well, so if what you're doing isn't working, like why are you going to keep banging your head against the wall? And as far as like getting yourself in, in different rooms, which you and I both do, it's like what, one of the things I learned is there's always going to be somebody who makes more money than you. There's always going to be somebody better looking. There's always going to be somebody who's smart. All the, there's always, right? But the one thing that we all have is the ability to acquire new skills, knowledge, and wisdom to make incremental progress to get closer to the person we want to become, right? And, and you can't take that away from anybody. You can take your cars, you can take your homes, you can take money, 
but you, they will not take away your ability to improve yourself as a human being. And the one thing that I wanted to ask you, and I want to get your opinion on this, is like, like to, in our society today, like people shy away from adversity, right? And this is the Adversity yep. Advantage podcast. And you and I have both learned to use adversity to our advantage to literally either build businesses, build podcasts, become who we are. But a lot of people are scared of it. They like want to push it away. They want to push away pain. Like talk a bit about why you think like going through hard times is necessary to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. What's funny is I don't even call them hard anymore. I don't even call them hard anymore. Like I can go back and just use like the egg analogy, right? Like it yeah. takes pressure to cook what's, what's in there. But the truth is, is that that human beings, like biologically, we are creatures of growth. Like mm. we measure our happiness in progress, right? The reason we have gotten to this point is because we push and we push and we push and we tend to find our meaning in progress, right? Well, I hate to tell you, but if you walk downhill every single day, all you're going to do is atrophy your muscles. There's no strength or growth. Like you have to have a little resistance. Everything beautiful in life comes from resistance. And mm. so for me, I didn't understand that because I thought the world was happening to me, right? Happening to me. And I was like, no, I'm getting trained to have the capacity to maintain what comes my way. Just like anything like, oh, I want to I wanna be able to run faster. Well, you have to run and push past that limit. I want to lift more weight. Well, you have to lift repetitions till you're sore. Like, I want to be healthier. I'm like, well, you have to drink more water. You have to eat more vegetables. Like, you have to go through the process to get there. And so for me, I tried to create an easy life. Like I tried to stack in my favor of like, oh, let's make this easy. Let's do it. And the truth was, is all I was doing was atrophying and going backwards. Like that's all I was doing. I wasn't getting mentally stimulated, physically stimulated, emotionally stimulated. I was basically trying to become robotic. I was like, mm. oh, no, no, no. I just want to stay the same until I want to experience happiness. And then I'm going to be like, oh, I'm happy today. And then like, oh, I'm back to kind of like the same till it's safe and and able to do so. And, and that's just not how it works. Like polarity is what creates the life that we live. Like polarity is what creates happiness because we experience sadness, right? Like we can only win when we feel like we've lost, right? Like all of it is a required balance. Because if we take, I mean, quite frankly, if we take resistance away, there is no measuring stick or any sort of value whatsoever. We're just going to be like Wally fat dudes riding around in like carts everywhere. And so for me, like if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have been like, I hate it. Like the world's happened to me and you look at it now, I'd go back. I wouldn't change one thing in my life. Like I am blessed. I am happy. I'm grateful. And I have more resistance coming my way now. Like the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, when you think about it, like everybody's like, oh, I slayed the dragon. I'm like, well, that's not the last step. The last step is when you go back to the village to teach what you've learned. But then the part that most people missed, myself included, was then another journey starts again and the dragon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's the pursuit of our life. And so, like, I don't think I've had one lesson in my life. I'm sure you're pretty similar. I don't remember lessons that were easy. Like when something was handed to me, or it's like, oh, it worked the first time. Like, I can't tell you any of those because I literally have no recollection of them. But when it's like, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds. And I remember the third day when I wanted to quit and I was like, I'm going to go today. I'm just going to go for a mile. And then everything after that followed was a win and a win and a win. I remember all of those moments. They're defining moments. I feel like we're constantly evolving our brain, our body, our, our chemistry as humans by pushing through this stuff. And so I don't know, like I kind of took, and, and I'm going to own this, I kind of took my addictive personality of like, 
extremes everywhere. And now I use it to get like really addicted to the discomfort of solitude. Like I'll be like, oh, I'm going to be alone for 30 minutes and I get uncomfortable at 30. I'm like, oh, if I'm uncomfortable, I need to keep going. Can I do an hour? Can I do Mm -hmm. an hour and a half? And I kind of use that to my advantage now, but that's where I find the most growth. Like I want to, I get in my sauna and I'm in my sauna for 40 minutes. I'm like, oh, I did good. I want to get out. I'm like, oh, do you? I'm like, close your mouth, breathe through your nose. You got at least 20 more minutes. And I'm like, oh, I did 20. Can I do 10 more? Can I do 10 more? Can I do 10 more? And like, I find growth and I discover myself in those moments. And I think actually Stephanos, both of our mutual friends, one of my business partners was talking about rituals and rites of passage. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you get hit with resistance, what you do is you shed who you are so you can become who you want to be through that right. resistance. And, yeah. and, and I mean like this, some of this might even sound esoteric, but I can give you real life examples all day, but like, this is the whole point of it. Like we don't even experience and the other part of it for me, Doug, the biggest part is that anything in my life that was ever handed to me, I never valued and I never enjoyed. Mm. I always took it for granted and it got taken away. Anything in my life that I've earned, like, oh, it was hard to get that or I had to work hard for that or it took me 22 years to get my dream car to then realize I didn't need it anymore. What's your dream car? I have a 2019 BMW M5 competition. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Because every human needs to be able to take their kids to school and go zero to 60 in 2.4 seconds right now. But I, I will say my son loves it. He just tells me to drive fast. And now he tells me it's not fast enough. And so <laughs> my three-year-old is exhibiting a lot of the same behaviors. But, but the truth was, Doug, is like that car, like I had an M3 on my dream for for 22 years. And I didn't realize there were seven years of my life that I could have afforded it, but I didn't want it. And then I got that car and literally for three months, I was like, I love it. 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 And then my wife's like, hey, babe, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, we can get rid of my car. She's like, what do you mean? You want it for like 22 years? I'm like, yeah, but now that I've had it, like, and I worked for it, I love it. There's nothing in that car for me. It was the pursuit of that car that I was in love with and the growth that it took inside of me to get to that point. And now like, that's kind of what it is. Like, I don't have material possessions. Like I have clothes, my laptop, a light, and that's it. I don't have anything else because I really love the process. I love the work. I love the growth of myself. And so that's kind of how I got to this point, man. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole, what I love is there's this whole notion of you loving to sit through pain now. And I think (laughs) so many times in in our society and people, the pain follows them because they don't sit in it. They don't go through the pain. So they just carry that pain from the next, you know, endeavor, the next relationship, the next business, the next week, the next month, because they don't sit in it and feel the emotions, right? And like, it's just like Stephanos, obviously he says, said that too. It's like, you got to really sit in your pain process the emotions then you move through it and then those wounds they heal they don't you're not just putting a band-aid on the wound you're healing the wound right because we're all gonna we all have wounds in life no matter who you are we're gonna have wounds and it's it's funny because people they always think that people who are successful that they're most proud of being at the top and what i've found is that it's the opposite. Most entrepreneurs and people who have been really successful are proud of the journey and the ups, the, the downs, the ups, the downs, and not having things handed to them. I, I was interviewing, I mean, I had Dean Graziosi on my podcast, him and I oh, were yeah. on it. We, we were on an Instagram live pod. I was interviewing him and he said something. He's like, if anybody honestly still thinks, he's like, raise your hand if you honestly still think that I was handed everything. He's like, because I mean, pretty much what he was saying and I relate to is like, when is that going to stop? When are people going to realize that like people who like, have made money or done really well for themselves. Like they worked, mm-hmm. they worked and they worked, they built something. Right. And sure. There's a few and far in between that trust funds and all that stuff. Totally. Right. Of course, 
But the vast majority, they worked and they learned and they fell and they fell and they fell and they got back up and they got back up and they got back up. So I love what you said though, about like just sitting through the pain. It doesn't even feel hard anymore because you've gone through it so many times. And that's kind of what happens when you go through adversity and you really learn to process it in a healthy way. It just becomes like part of who you are. It doesn't just define you. So last question is this, is I want you to imagine your boy is going through like a really dark time. Imagine like we're in a pandemic of like 2027 and you got him and he's like, dad, like I'm struggling right now. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know this and that. Like what kind of things are you telling him to kind of keep himself like positive and, and upbeat so he doesn't like put his head in the sand and kind of want to quit? Yeah, that's one of the, that's the best question I've ever been asked. Actually, nobody ever asked about my son. That one immediately puts it into my feels hard, man. The first thing that I would tell my son that whatever he's feeling, he has to honor and feel it. Mm. And it's a lesson that took me a long time to learn. But uh, I had a very wise shaman tell me once, he said, if it's coming up, it's coming out. Mm. And the way that I see that is like, I have a 15 year old daughter right now as well. Right. And so I'm in a lot of that of like, I don't get to see my friends anymore. I was defined by who I was in high school. Now we mm. don't have that. I might never right. see them again. What is this? And so when I look at both of them and have these conversations, like I was like, you have to honor what you're feeling. Like that's the check engine light in your body right now. And once you are done honoring that, when it's time to make a decision, when you have clarity that you need to do nothing and you get to choose. And so the semblance that we have always, it's like always be honest with yourself and honor yourself and then always forgive yourself. Whatever that's coming up, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. And then from the other side of that, you have really two decisions. You can sit idly by and you can watch or you can take action and lead and either way is okay, but you have to honor it. And those are the things I actually tell my kids every single day. I tell them that you get to choose who you become in this world, not by who you are, but who you choose to become that day. Mm. You know, and like, I, I think you said that a minute ago, Doug, when, when you were talking about like successful people, like they love the journey, they love the journey. Like I have students that call me now and they're like, God, you just, you made that offer today and it worked after four hours. So I was like, no, no, it worked after 11 years. I was like that overnight success worked after 11 years. And I was like, I've probably made 6,000 offers in the last 11 years for that one to work today. But the reason I say that is I also tell my son and my son's only three and a half right now. We were actually reading a book the other night. And at the end of the book, these, this family for kids. Huh? Was it paleo for kids? It wasn't paleo for kids. No, but it was this, it was this family that goes out as a, on a bear hunt. Like this, right. we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. But like I can recite yeah. the whole book. I've read it so many times. But then they get to the cave, and the bear is this big googly-eyed bear. They run away, and he's sad because he wants to be their friend. And so he looks at me, and he's like, "Daddy, why did they run away from the bear? He's sad. He wants to be their friend. I don't want the bear to be that way." or feel that way. And I said, okay, Bubbies, well, why do you think he feels that way? And I asked my three and a half year old, like critical thinking. And I was like, what would you do? And he's like, well, I would tell him that I was his friend and I would sit down and I would eat with him. And I said, okay, Bubs. And I said, so if you ever see anybody that's sad, you can do that. Mm. And he's like, okay, daddy, right? He's three and a half, <laughs> right? Like these are the conversations that we're having, but also not being like sadness doesn't exist in the world or this doesn't exist. No, it's there. But in those moments, we always have choice and you might not be able to fix it. You might not be able to make it better, but you can always take an action in that moment and choose who you're going to become. And so for me, it's honor where you are, forgive yourself if it's coming up and then give away what you want to get, right? You want love, give away love. You want compassion, give away compassion. You want joy, give away joy. And, and those are the things that I would tell him because those are things I still work on every day. <laughs> 
Amen to that, man. Yeah, it's funny because it's like I'm so into like energy and like the law of attraction. Like you are what you put out, right? If you're putting out depression and pessimism and all this stuff, you're typically going to be surrounded by people that are like that because that's going to be what you attract because you're not going to relate to the people that are thriving and successful anymore because now you're like, well, I don't align with that energy. Why are they so positive? Why are they this? Why are they that? And I, I love everything you've created. I love how you're just so unapologetically honest about your, your downfalls, which is something that I relate to a lot as well. And how you just never give up on yourself. And you're like, hey, dude, like I, I still have screws loose upstairs. And I'm here just being like, I just cried to my wife before we started recording. Like, And I know as a male, it's vulnerability and, and sharing like that can be challenging because we're taught to hide all that stuff. So totally. I just wanted to thank you for coming on. And so where can people find out more about you? I know, obviously, we talked a bit about High Speed Daddy. I know you're on Instagram. And yeah, best place to find me is I have a podcast, but everything's at mindofgeorge.com. So okay. make it really, really easy. It should say like 5150 mindofgeorge.com, but I haven't gone that far. I'm not getting admitted anywhere. I, I'm aware of all this. I make jokes about it because I've checked myself in, but no. I. How many times have you been, have you been 5150? If you don't mind me I've never been 5150. Oh, okay. I have voluntarily gone into the hospital twice oh. because I was never afraid to raise my hand. That's like, good. I got to this point, like, and I, I realized it was probably one of the hardest things that when you were talking about like crying and like being mm. there, I was like, to be this guy that did 12 years in the Marine Corps, three combat tours, led Marines in, and then two years later to be so broken that I couldn't get out of bed on Thanksgiving. One of the hardest things I ever had to do, I looked my wife in the eye and I said, you can't help me and I can't help me. I need help and had her drive into the hospital. And those are defining moments in my life that I'm proud of and I wear every day and talk about openly because I think there's a stigma around it that needs to go away because uh, we all are here to help each other. And I think the world needs a little bit more of that, a little bit more play, a little bit more joy. And so I try to give away my slice of that as much as possible every day. So mindofgeorge.com, it links to our Facebook group, my podcast and my social, of course, Instagram and things like that. But the best place is mindofgeorge.com. Easiest place. I'm here. If I can do anything to support any of you, send me a message. I will personally respond and do anything that I can. You heard it from the man himself. So George Bryant here. And what I love about his, his story more than anything is that he is behind the scenes. Help, he's helped some of the most profound brands in the world, some of the most profound influencers, companies. And he's still willing to serve. He's still willing to help. And he's still willing to admit that he has stuff to work on and continuing to evolve as a male. So, so George, thank you so much again for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. And for everybody listening, thank you for giving me the one gift that I can't give back to you, which is time. So honor it. Have a beautiful day. And thank you for your attention. Yeah. And once again, I want to remind everybody who's listening to this, if you appreciated this episode um, as much as George and I enjoyed chatting, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Um, leave a, a five-star review. That would be amazing if this, this episode touched your heart. And uh, once again, you're listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.